Welcome to the Elephant on the Couch, where we're finally addressing what makes us uncomfortable. This is a judgment-free space designed to finally help the elephant in the room get on the couch and start the conversation. So join us. Let's get that elephant on the couch and let's get uncomfortable. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Elephant on the Couch. I am your host, Tanya. And I'm your co-host, Dulce. Welcome back, everyone, as you probably, if you do listen to our podcast on a weekly basis, every time we drop, you probably notice that we took a little bit of a break. Two-week break, man. Yeah. It wasn't intentional either. It totally wasn't. It was one of those things. (laughs) Unplanned. But, hey, life happened. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of our podcast, that we're really trying to be as authentic yeah authentic is a good word as possible and this is what happens when you're trying to wing something right like we're not oh we have to do it and Mm -hmm. we're trying to be very natural and organic about it and part of being natural and organic is that you're not going to be on your a game all the time and this is evidence that we're not in our (laughs) a game all the time exhibit a and b (laughs) the past two weeks of how life happens um, so if you did notice that we didn't drop an episode, we appreciate you because that means we you've been listening. And if you didn't, well, now you know. Welcome back. <laughs> if you see the date gap on our episodes, ta-da! This is it. Full disclosure. <laughs> Do they have a date? I don't even know that. No, I yeah. Do they? I, on Apple Podcasts, it does. Oh, that's mm-hmm. true, 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 true. Well, how are you? How was your two weeks? My unintentional two-week break from podcasting. It was probably, well, again, that's probably why. We, it just got really busy with work for me. Um, a lot of transitions are still happening happening because of COVID. So people that I work with, my clients, are adjusting to changes in their life with impacts my life and me providing services for them. Um, so my- if you guys are unaware here in Arizona... COVID is not real and people are just going back to being normal in the middle of it's, October. It's, it's like a, crazy. It, I, I, I saw, again, we always make reference <laughs> to memes, but there was a meme that said, like, I missed that COVID stage back in March when it was pretty black and white. Like, no, you guys have to stay home and shut down everything. And now it's this very, like, awkward, like, half of the people are taking it seriously and still staying at home. And then you get your friends that are at the bar, at the club, well, maybe not club, but at the bar still hanging out going out half of the people wear masks half of the people don't care so it's very like gray covid era right now i think it's pretty black and white like our numbers are going up and you should be scared (laughs) so for the people who are not engaging they're just on denial at this point right well a lot of people because (laughs) because maybe they weren't affected on a personal level or they know somebody that had they kind of like got into this mindset of like is this real or is this like i mean those conspiracy theories right um but i think that so yeah because of that reason a lot of it when it comes to my job it's it's that transition stage so a lot of things happen i've been under i feel a lot of stress lately i think like it's a mixed message right like oh covid numbers are going up freak out but then the government's like okay we're opening bars now we're opening schools we're opening this and it's kind of like well i mean you guys probably (laughs) know 
how I lean when it comes to political views, but the fact that the president of the United States got COVID and then his aftermath message was, don't be worried about it. We can beat it. Don't be scared. Live your life. Don't let this control you. I mean, (laughs) that tells you what you need to know about how serious we're taking COVID, that divisive mentality. But, hey, yeah, I, I guess it's an adjustment for everybody. Yeah. I think it's an adjustment. I think inevitably we're moving to normalizing COVID. Like this is going to be our lifestyle exactly. for how, however long. And so how exactly. do we take the quote unquote appropriate mes- measures? I, I don't know. Yeah. But and, and it does a- feel like a mess though. It does feel like I, I've been going back to, I mean, I have been back to work, but I feel like it's been more busy than typical and i i hear you is what i'm saying like yeah navigating like i was like dang i didn't realize how out of it i am because i'm not even able to function the way that i used to in the office mm-hmm. you yeah. know it just i don't know i'm validating what you're saying is what i'm trying to say well thanks <laughs> i knew it was real but <laughs> but thank you <laughs> i knew damn well that i'm not out of my mind for feeling that way but yeah, yeah, it, the past two weeks, it's been that transitions period. I think fall's coming, kicking in, so it gets dark really early, which my brain translates to, you need to go to bed and... <laughs> Binge watch Netflix, yes. get in a blanket, but it, is a, but it is a thing, though, like, aside from pozole season, um, that seasonal, like, it gets darker, like, people, yeah. it messes up with your emotions and stuff like that, but yeah. The past two weeks did get a little stressful there. A lot of transition is happening. Very stressful, honestly. Yeah. For you too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this these, this past two weeks have been really intense. <laughs> like, Hence why we didn't record, guys. Yeah, I mean, like, I was trying to push through it. I was really, I was being really pushy. Like, okay, I can show up at 8 o'clock and let's record. And Even remember though- that episode of Boundaries? <laughs> right i was like nah (laughs) i am not recording at night after a full day of session yeah so i because again like i said like the podcast for me is like a coping mechanism and so i was really trying hard to push through through it so that i could get a little light (laughs) in my craziness but it's at the expense of my sanity (laughs) absolutely (laughs) absolutely (laughs) no but it's been um it's been a necessary break. I think that's a good way of putting it. Like, it's been so crazy that, like, doing more than what I can chew, more than I can bite, or what is it, bite more than I can chew, it was not a good idea. Right. And I'm glad of that. Yeah. Low-key, I'm glad we didn't record, because it probably would have been a mess. Well, yeah, not that the other And then I would have... But it's a more of a structured mess. <laughs> I would have had to, like, edit for, like, five hours instead of two. True, true. <laughs> So hopefully you guys over there listening to this, hopefully you guys are staying safe out there in this crazy gray area of COVID. Um, hopefully you guys are voting. It's voting season, people. <laughs> it's also, uh, what is it? Uh, cuffing season. The holidays are coming up. Get you your boot thing. I don't know about and cuffing season in the pandemic. <laughs> the struggle is real. The Hashtag struggle. the struggle is real. Man, so, hey, but you know what? October is a big deal for me. Um, actually, the topic that we're gonna talk about, I think, like the two week break was 
kind of good too just because of this topic right. october is domestic violence awareness month yes domestic violence awareness month the um here locally in phoenix the the state capital or what is it they light the building in purple you might see some light bulbs that are purple that's what i did well i do in my house i changed the light bulbs for mm -hmm. domestic awareness month to purple so if you see anything purple that is the color that they use so yes october is domestic violence i feel like october had a lot because there was also mental health awareness week and then there is infancy and early pregnancy laws there's domestic violence yeah it's, it's a, like a lot month. and then it's halloween i don't know about y'all but i decorate my house for halloween starting september 1st <laughs> nope fall is coming pumpkin everything oh my god <laughs> pumpkin patches seriously <laughs> But yes, yeah, so you guys, I mean, understand already the, the setup of this podcast is we try to bring some really heavy topics while also trying to bring some lighthearted heartedness to it, heartedness, uh, heartedness to it. However, some of them are really, there's, it's not a joking matter. It's just like we said plenty of times already. Sometimes we cope through humor, but today's topic is going to be a difficult one. We are going to be talking about things that can be very, very triggering for people listening to this. So as we always say, if you do need to take a break, we want to encourage you to listen to your body, acknowledge those feelings like we always say. Take a break if you need to. You can skip this episode. As always, we want to encourage you to be brave and listen and, and create awareness and be willing to be uncomfortable with us, but know your limits at the same time. Right. If this is really triggering you to the point that it's not only uncomfortable, but it's feeling unsafe, definitely pause this, close it, go do something for self-care, and hopefully reach out to people that are part of your support system, reach out to resources. Like we said before, we do have that highlight section in our Instagram. Um, there's a lot of resources out there available. So if while listening to this, hopefully not, but if you do get some sort of reaction, reach out there is help available and feel free to skip this episode yeah absolutely we encourage you setting those boundaries as much as possible so if that means that this episode has to be listened to halfway that's okay that's so, what you need mm -hmm. for now it's yes okay. so we are going to be talking about domestic violence and as always we want to start by defining what you would find out there in the internet so domestic violence is defined as a pattern of abusive behavior used to gain and maintain keyword power oh. and control over another person note that it's not just about a gender it doesn't say men over women or women over men or it's just it could happen in any lgbtq plus spectrum um, any, of relationships yeah any social economic status anything it doesn't matter as long as it's a relationship mm -hmm. it can be um and, and specifically it talks about domestic violence because it usually happens within a home mm -hmm. right but there's also partner violence there's dating violence uh, but i think domestic violence is more speaking of that relationship and any any more romantic partnership i want to yes. say right yes um, even if you're not within the same house, which would be like what we think of when we think of domestic, but any relationship, any dynamic that refers to that, right? Then that's um, that's what this is about. Um, and I think it's very 
I mean, I don't know if still to this day, and I'm, every time I say I don't know if now, it's just because personally me, like I know that there, it's not the fact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is still some sort of misconception when it comes to domestic violence that is physical, right? Yeah. But it, it is not. And it's I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys listening to this already know that, but there, it, it, go, it goes beyond the physical aspect because people match domestic violence with abuse, with bruises, broken bones, and stuff like that. But there are five types of abuse that typically we talk about when it comes to mental health and stuff like that, um, trauma and stuff like that. But within doing our own research through for this, and specifically when it comes to domestic violence, we narrow it down to six mm-hmm. more so. So the first one, of course, the one that we talked about is physical. Anything, I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. Physical has to do with your body. Touching you, hitting you, pushing you, slapping you, kicking you. That whole intimidation piece that we've talked about in previous episodes of property damage and punching walls and stuff like that is that intimidation piece i mean it could be component to some of the other categories too of abuse it's not black and white right it's not but black and physical white. Mm-hmm. is pretty obvious pretty self-explanatory anything with also, your body any yeah it can also be like locking you in the house that's pretty physical too right like it doesn't have to be just a punch or a hit or a um like physical abuse what you typically would think of it can also mean like locking you up somewhere mm-hmm. or um putting you in a physical situation that is very risky right like um you could even say like driving a car really fast while you're on the other side and kind of scaring you that you mm-hmm. might crash it's pretty physical as well even though you don't have the bruises to prove it or mm-hmm. whatever putting you in locks could be one like wrestling mm-hmm. Um, sexual, um, sexual is not just rape. Let me make that very clear. Sexual can also be withholding sex. Could be a way of, of, um, doing sexual abuse. Um, it could be actually becoming hypersexual. So, um, using sex more than often or using sex as a way to, manipulate you Mm -hmm. um also like social media like uh sharing videos pictures and things like that that have to do with your sexual life with this person is also a way of sexual abuse Mm -hmm. they call it something there's a law already Mm -hmm. for that um revenge something i don't remember i know i know what you're talking about i mean this is very like silly <laughs> but um the kardashian male the only uh-huh. one rob kardashian mm-hmm. I, I think got in trouble because of black china and he shared something and so he got in trouble for that so yeah so that is a type of control again that definition that i read at the beginning of power and control if i have pictures of you or i have a video of you and i having sex and i use that to manipulate you power and control i have yeah, power over you so i can control mm-hmm. you the other type of abuse is emotional. Again, that is a big umbrella. That's a very loaded term, emotional abuse, because it can be anything from me making comments about your body, about your image, about your family, about yourself, yourself about like your 
abilities as a person, putting you down, being um, dismissive of your emotions, right? Like, if I see that you're there crying, I can be like, ugh. Ugh. Gaslighting you. you, Like, my God, you're so dramatic. And I start internalizing, like, well, maybe I am dramatic, right? So that emotional abuse is a big umbrella. There's a lot of things that could fall into that category of emotional abuse. I think also, like, there could be, like, a sense of the significant other getting mad. Mm-hmm. Like, I can sense right away when my child gets mad or my child gets sad. I can just sense it, right? Because I'm so connected to her. Mm-hmm. So that emotional abuse could be the same. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, like, my partner can just make a face that tells me that he or she is mad. And I'm like, oh, and this fear starts happening, right? Like, this big, like... Mm-hmm. ball or feelings go down to my feet and i'm like oh my god i just pissed him or her off i just pissed them off mm-hmm. yeah that's emotional abuse as well like the just having you react in a certain way because of my mannerisms that in itself could be emotional mm-hmm. abuse you shouldn't have to be so reactive when your partner gets upset or angry like you mm-hmm. should you should be like oh my god he's mad right or she's mad ah but it shouldn't get to a point where you're afraid for your safety. Mm-hmm. That's the power and control piece. Right. The fear. Yeah. The next one is economic. That one is a huge one. I think a lot of times, um, especially for people whose love languages are like gifts or something like that. Um, like there's a lot of gaslighting in that economic piece. Like, I'm going to pay all the bills. I'm the provider. You don't have to move a finger. Mm -hmm. But then later on, I say, well, what are you going to do when you leave me? You're going to be homeless, Mm -hmm. right? Or I'm not going to pay your phone bill this month. And sometimes it's even like the other token where they do get overcompensated, right? So like you you got on this like horrible relation, like this horrible fight. And then I think like one of the songs is like put... I don't know, stacks in the bag or something. <laughs> like you give like monetary, mm-hmm. thank you for handling my craziness, here's $200. Or I'm just going to mm-hmm. throw $1,000 in your face because I went and cheated today. Mm-hmm. It's like there's economical manipulation. Right. But I, I see that often too where um, what you were talking about, that piece of you're going to be a stay-at-home mom and that's your dream and you're happy with that. And then when it turns into abuse then some people they find themselves they've been out of, out of the job the workforce for like 10 years 20 years and that manipulation of like i don't have a job history at this point in my resume i don't know how to work i stopped working back in 1995 and now in the past 20 years technology is crazy so people do everything to computer now and i have no idea how to do that right right in that economic piece gets played into that because now how could i or or in kind of stepping out of the misconception Mm -hmm. it could be that the woman or i'll say let me let me rephrase that that the survivor Mm -hmm. or the victim is the one that's bringing up a lot of money to the house Mm -hmm. right so maybe the person who's actually being abused is the one that pays all the bills and does all the things that's also economic abuse like Mm -hmm. the the partner that stay home doesn't move a finger and says, well, if you don't pay things, I'm going to mess you up, you know, mm-hmm. or if you don't, what are you going to do by yourself working here? Like, mm-hmm. you know, people like me are not going to want you. That's yeah. why you have to pay for these things if you want to keep me happy. Like, I've mm-hmm. seen that a lot where 
maybe the survivor is the one that brings a lot of money in and then the abuser literally grabs the entire paycheck and and it please pay attention to my word of abuser and survivor because it could be that the male is the survivor and he's mm-hmm. working full time and the female might be the abuser and literally takes mm-hmm. the whole check and gives him $20 to spend for the two weeks because yeah. that's his role he should be providing so he should shut up. And mm-hmm. it could be the other way around too where the female is the one that's making a lot of money and the yeah. male is like, give me your whole check. Mm-hmm. So economic is is one that is really hard to see because it's kind of everything that has to do with money happens under the table. Yeah, it can be pretty hush-hush and we don't talk about it. That one can also present uh, the economic one in teen dating. Mm -hmm. And especially if I am 17 years old and I, I'm using air quotes, run away from home because my parents are against me dating or they don't let me and I end up leaving the home and running away and now... I'm homeless or whatever, like through that, that simple, maybe they're not giving me money. They're not buying me this expensive gifts, but just the fact that they get, they let me crash in their Their homes and I have a roof and food, those basic needs again, that can keep me in this type of relationship. That can be that power and control piece that I get a plate of food, I get water and I get a space to sleep. Yeah. As basic as that. When think financially, people think like, Money, blah, blah, blah. It can be super basic. A place to sleep. Right. It's that power and control piece. Right. Um, the other type of abuse is that psychological, kind of like emotional. It's a big umbrella, but it's a lot of things that they can do. Again, dismissing of your emotional needs, gaslighting you, the blaming you, the victim Making blaming. you think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That one's so intense. Isolating you from your support system. Like, That's they start... One they start manipulating you and thinking that your friends are the crazy ones, your parents are the crazy that don't want you to be with him or her, and that's why they're just jealous. Um, They start messing with, again, your self-esteem so that you have to rely on them so bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. who's going to want a crazy person like you? Mm -hmm. Only me. Who's going to want this You're too much to handle. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one that can handle you. Yep. Very uh, hurtful... You know, who's going to want a person who has five kids? No one. You're worth nothing. Mm-hmm. All right. And sometimes that psychological abuse is, is like it's very intense because you open up with this person and you tell them your dirtiest, mm-hmm. horrible secrets or yep. like the, your biggest fears. And then when they're in that abusive mode, they literally latch on. To what yep. you said and say, remember you told me that your mom abandoned you where you were five? Well, now I understand why. Because look at how you act. And it's like, oh, low blow, bleed. Yeah. Like, it, but they perp- like they know that that's going to be your, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's that, that psychological piece. Mm-hmm. Or they use it against you. Like, I'm going to share this information with everybody else. Like your deepest secrets that you trust mm-hmm. them with then they can use it against you. Threatening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And is that psychological, like, blackmailing? The blackmail. Yeah, that's the blackmailing Mm -hmm. piece. So I'm trying to put names on what you're (laughs) saying so that people can identify. Because I think, like, a lot of times I hear terms like blackmailing or gaslighting or this, and I'm like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. But then, like, once you start giving these examples, I'm like, I want to make sure that I, like, name them what they are so that Mm -hmm. people can start connecting the two. Right. Anyways, the last but again, one. psychological is it's a big one. Yeah, and I think it's the the scariest one. I'm not gonna. 
I don't want to say scariest because they're not really one is scarier than the other. Mm -hmm. But I think psychological is pretty tricky uh, because you really can believe the manipulation that's going on. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And and it becomes truth after a while. And, and it's so embedded in you that it's like hard to put that responsibility on the abuser. You've internalized it so mm -hmm. much. It's hard to say well, my abuser is at fault. It's kind of like, uh, well, maybe my abuser is not at fault. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe I called on, on this. Maybe I deserve this. They're really good at making you believe that. Mm -hmm. That's the the last one is verbal. And verbal, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it because I feel like a lot of what we already talked about encompasses verbal. I mm -hmm. think verbal is more of like the action of using words to manipulate, to hurt, to... Belittle you, belittle, to isolate you, mm -hmm. to scare you, to control you. Yelling, yelling could be a pretty common verbal, mm -hmm. or like uh, using words, name calling, name calling. There it is. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> so, what are some of the misconceptions? We we we've been talking about defining the types of abuse, the defining what uh, domestic abuse is. And I think there is still 2020, but there is still a lot of misconceptions about who the survivors or the victims, right? Like the, the lingo of domestic violence. What what are the things that we think of when we think of someone that is part of a, of a or that is in a domestic violence situation, right? Like a lot of people still think that this is someone that's poor, someone from a low socioeconomic status that didn't go to school, I'm an educated person. I didn't finish high school. I dropped out of high school. I work at whatever basic, what's it called, minimum wage job. I live in... Or maybe they don't work. Maybe right. they're like stranded. Mm -hmm. They really need somebody. Kind of like the 17-year-old talking about mm -hmm. earlier. That Sometimes ran away that's from like the, home. Yeah. The idea of, yeah. The, of, the, of the victim or the survivor is like this weak-minded, mm -hmm. poor me, feel sorry for me. Mm -hmm. I need more mentality or um, very dependent. It doesn't really, I don't think like when we talk about victims or survivors, I don't think people think of like Beyonce being one of them. Mm -hmm. You know, like this independent, iconic, wow, woman, like that would never happen to a woman like that. Mm -hmm. And the reality is not yeah. that or, at all. or if I work on, a, on an, I don't know, whatever really good paying job like myself, right? I, I'm like the CEO of whatever company. I make really good money. I show up at work with my pencil skirts, like hair pretty. I'm hella assertive in is my that, Is that what a boss lady looks like <laughs> in your brain? Okay. In my brain, I'm wearing a pencil skirt, <laughs> my glasses, my curl hair, my heels. There's probably a CEO out there wearing like cutesy, beautiful sunflower dresses to her job being like, that's not what I look right. like. <laughs> But again, we're talking misconceptions. So you see that person that I just described with the pencil skirt, the heels, you think power. You think mm -hmm. like, damn, this bitch got it. Like, And people's or a man. It yeah. could be a man too, right? Or, or yeah, a guy that's running a Slick, a million dollar nice. company, and then they come home. If it, that's my husband that running that company, and he comes home, and I beat the shit out of him, or the moment he steps in the home, I start like There abusing the hell out of him, yeah. like mentally, like oh, like you're so dumb, like you didn't do this, like belittling him and stuff like that. So again, people have that misconception of like. A victim must be someone weak, someone that is poor, someone that is uneducated. But we're here to tell you 
that that's not the case. That's not the case. That's no. not the it case. It could be your boss that is going home to an abusive partner. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a woman or a man right. or heterosexual. It could be LGBTQ. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they could have all the ducks in a row, but then at home it's just not mm-hmm. there. Um, the other misconception, I think, too, is that the person provoked the abuse. Like, what did she do? And I'm using she because, well... That's usually majority. Like of when the you time. hear what did yeah. she do or what did you do, it typically is around the context of a female provoking mm-hmm. whatever bullshit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're Latina, like, oh, she's crazy. That's why she. Pues que le hiciste? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I think like also the 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 abuser has a stereotype. It's like the bad boy. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, edgy and hot and, like, Christian grayish. <laughs> Dude, that movie on Netflix, I think I mentioned it before. Uh, I don't know what's it called right now. It's clearly going to escape my mind. But there was a lot of controversy in social media to cancel that movie from Netflix. Because the girl gets kidnapped, literally. Ted Bundy? No, no, no. Oh. The girl gets kidnapped. I was kidnapped. like, Ted Bundy is a great example but of it's, abuse. Yeah, <laughs> It's a newer movie, like I mean, and the guy is like cutie patootie, like <laughs> patootie. strong jawline, muscles for days. Well, they got Zac Efron for Ted Bundy, right? Isn't yeah. it Zac Efron? No, but I'm talking about the other movie. I know, I know, but I'm, <laughs> but, I'm trying to validate your point exactly. with another example. But media, again, media is portraying this abusers messed up as this like really hot, good-looking people. But they're like bad boys. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That, that guy that I'm talking about in the movie, and I'm sure you guys listening over here might have seen that movie. It's super graphic. But it is around that idea. This is this is a bad boy, and but I'm going to abuse the shit out of you. Literally to the point I kidnap you. Because I like you, and as a man, I feel like I'm going to get what I want, and whatever. That that was last week's topic. Well, I think, I think women can get away with that, too. Yeah. I think there's the bad women mentality, right? Like, I'm going to be heartless and, and there is use you and abuse you but there's I'm a lot of material a lot of stigma around male being the victim right so even as a female that whole like i'm gonna abuse you and use my body and use like all these things to manipulate the shit out of you because you're not gonna be a p word and go out to your friends and say that i'm beating the crap out of you because you have this hot wife yeah right like this who sexy. complains about their woman raping them mm-hmm. right so i so i i want to give um sort of disclosure i'm a survivor of tv and huh, i'm having such a hard time verbalizing this i feel like my heart's coming out of my throat <sighs> um and i and i wanted to say that because i don't think that listeners would assume or even think that i'm a survivor I have, if you haven't noticed in the last, I don't know how many episodes we've had, mm-hmm. um, I'm very opinionated, I'm Loud strong-minded, <laughs> um, I, I have a huge personality, and it's obvious, um, very confident, smart, I mean, <laughs> like tooting my own horn right now, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I definitely... I don't think that I fit that poor, dependent, uneducated, weak woman. Like, and and it got the best of me. That that experience experiences got the best of me. And and 
um, I don't feel like um, a weak-minded person. As a matter of fact, a lot of the experiences that I've had have really pushed me to be quote-unquote weak and somehow from the grace of God, I survived mm -hmm. and I pushed through. And, and I think it's important because it's important for me to say that because I think majority of the times successful, strong, loud are the the victim they're the, the that's what they're looking for the the aggressor is looking for that specific type of person so they can quote unquote tame it oh you think you're so bad you think you're so bougie you think you can come in i'm gonna teach you some lessons right now i'm gonna kind of yeah i'm gonna humble you i'm gonna show you how to be and it happens both ways it's it's not just the male doing it to the female i think in female doing it to the male is also Yeah. something that's out there and i mean i i think like, hearing you say that i think if i see a strong powerful male because i happen to be attracted to males and i'm an abuser and, and, and to me that's a pretty good way to cover up for it nobody would ever believe this fucker that i'm beating the shit out of him when he comes home mm -hmm. <laughs> that was super like i'm sorry <laughs> like intense like how this i described it but you know what i mean like Sometimes that can be the target, the reason why I target him. Because I see, like, I can get away with doing this to him. Because yeah. I know he fits this profile that society wouldn't ever see as a, as yeah. a victim. Yeah. I read a book, if you guys have a chance to read it, it's called Why Does He, why Does he Do That? Uh, very gender... Then the gentrified gender biased. a gender no. biased yeah mm -hmm. i like that very gender biased because of the title but um it's like a compilation of survivors and i want to say there's probably like five stories and four out of the five they're very strong independent smart women that were targeted mm -hmm. and and they talk about like the progression of the relationship and and every single one of them were like women that men tried to have them left and right like they had like five men trying to be with them you know mm -hmm. and no man was ever good enough and then this knight in shining armor showed up and actually got to tame them and then it was just like downward spiral mm -hmm. after that yeah. but I, i think it's important to say that because no like the the survivor is not usually this meh person mm -hmm. yeah And, and, and again, also for the abuser piece, right? There's misconceptions about the survivor and the abuser. Think of the survivor, I mean, the abuser, like this alcoholic, drug addict, and he's an abuser because he drinks every day. Well, no, again, like we said, it can be the CEO of, of a very successful company, the school principal. It could be a pastor of a church, right? Like things that people think of abuser and they would never imagine. Look at all the freaking serial killers. Ted Bundy. Just kidding. Clearly, Joe says I love, I love reading about mm -hmm. this man because he's a psychopath. But for both But. abuser and victim, there isn't such thing as a type, a type or a checklist that they have to meet to become either. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's just an individual. I think sometimes the abusers, either for male or female, actually come off as the good guy or the good girl. Oh yeah. Like they, you know, oh, why does nobody want me? I'm so good. Well, because you're manipulated as heck and treat people like crap, right? But like they come off like the first few months as like this perfect person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a big reason why people get in those relationships. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say people, I include myself in there. Why we, Why we get in those? Mm-hmm. I honestly like the first two to three months are perfect, mm-hmm. like to the T, perfect, like too real, like too good to be truth. That's what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Like everything is perfect. The person says the right things. They're the perfect height. They're the perfect mindset. Like, literally everything is just on point to the point where it's like, am I, you even start doubting yourself within the first few months. Like, am Mm -hmm. I even good enough for this? Because Mm -hmm. this person has no flaws at all. Mm -hmm. And that's part of already that psychological piece. Yeah, like, I think that pattern is really like the recipe that starts Mm -hmm. the craziness. Yeah. I th- I think there's a perfect recipe. Like, well, I I think that's important to to cover like because again, people tend to look at this as a very black and white thing like, well, why don't they just leave? Like, wh- why do they even get in those relationships? And and it's again, like we started talking about COVID, it's very gray, very complex as of why people would end up in this type of situation. Why do people stay with an abuser? Sometimes it's been that's all they know they come to accept this type of love as this is what love is like i've been told that love hurts i've been told to just shut up shut up and put up with it i've been told um i've seen my mom being beat up growing up i've seen in my culture in my religion right historic if there is some sort of cultural piece or growing up this is what i accepted that love is well duh this is why i would end up in a situation that's similar the same yeah i think that tough love mentality like it kills me because it as a parent if you if you send that message to your child then your child believes that that's the message right so um if i as a survivor if i heard in my house that i'm stupid right this is just an example Mm -hmm. um that I'm stupid, then when I meet a person that I'm attracted to and the person says the same thing, then I'm like, oh, this is it. This is the tough love that my parents told me I was supposed to get in mm-hmm. order to become better, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And and that's, that's not the case because your parents might have had like a good intention with whatever they were doing because that's how they were raised or whatever their trauma might be i'm Mm -hmm. not saying that it applies for everybody but it could you know be that your parents didn't know better and that's just their way of raising you but at the end of the day they still love you right they just don't know how to appropriately Mm -hmm. hopefully hopefully to give them the benefit of the doubt right but then you meet a person who is actually with the intent to like to control you Mm -hmm. and have that over you their intent is not to love you right. or, be, or have you become better. Their intent is to hurt you and exert power and control because mm-hmm. you should be their next right trophy. And, and, and if growing up, your the brain connected those two, I'm an idiot means this person cares about me and is doing it for my best. And I hear you're a fucking idiot, Tanya, because you forgot to iron my shirt. Huh. Like, oh, he's doing it. That piece that you're saying. Yeah. He's doing it because, again, it's kind of like my mom, like, que le hiciste, right, saying that, or my grandma, like, just like, I'm sorry, apologizing after my grandpa beats the crap out of her, right? Or, this is generational know, Right, if, if you get your ass beat by your parents regularly, right, 
-hmm. And this happens a lot. Parents beat their kids, right? Because they did something that triggered a punishment, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And then after they beat them, they tell the kid, well, it's your fault. The kid is like, mom, it hurt. Like I'm crying. There might or might not be a mark, but there's like an actual pain because duh, you just beat them, Mm -hmm. right? And they're crying. And then the parent says, well, you called for it. Mm-hmm. You don't want me to beat your ass. You should have listened. In the Mexican culture, there is such thing, and maybe I'm generalizing, but the whole lo hago por tu bien. Te I'm pego it for your own good. Uh-huh, te pego por tu bien. I'm hitting, I'm, I'm for hitting your own you good. for your own good so that you learn this lessons, right? Listen to imagine how a kid is going to internalize that message. Te pego porque te quiero. Te pego por tu bien. Te pego para ayudarte. But there's no, like, acknowledgement of me actually hurting you more than what I wanted to hurt you. Right? Like, I mean, there's hitting, no that, hitting a period. Right. That's very controversial, and a lot of people still argue, like, oh, the spanking is helpful, and I grew up with it, and I turned out just fine. Uh, I don't know. Right. But but if, if the parents spank the kid, mm-hmm. and they hurt the kid it's valid to say i'm sorry you're feeling that way i didn't mean to hurt you the way you're hurting but that's what what abuser is going to do eventually i mean we're gonna get to that later right again if someone that as a kid i learned that that is the ultimate source of love and acceptance as a parent and again again this is with the assumption that you have healthy parents um send me that message that I made a mistake because, well, duh, I'm growing up and I make mistakes and I don't know. And their response is to beat me up. Even if they overdo it, which is, I mean, what what's underdoing it? Like, what's the appropriate amount of hating? No, there's no such thing. But, um, <laughs> if, I mean, again, I'm not a parent, so maybe you guys listening would be like, mm-hmm, Tanya, wait till you have kids. <laughs> uh, pero even if, if you do that, now, fast forward 30 years from now, here's my abuser, I made a mistake or I just was human and whatever or didn't do shit because that's this is exactly what we're talking about. There's no anything that you could ever do to anyone to respond this way. Mm-hmm. But I hear that and I get beat up and it's the same message of like, oh, I'm sorry. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the same concept. And, right. But this is like how we start planting those seeds to our children. Right. As and then mother. and then you expect them to leave. Well, did you ever leave your mom? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? That the Did you ever leave that abusive pattern with your parents? It's very likely that you haven't because those are your parents and you kind of feel like you owe something to them. Mm-hmm. And so there's this like cycle, right? Of like codependency mm-hmm. with your family members that then gets copied and pasted to a relationship, Hell to a times. romantic relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of like hoping that they're going to change, hoping that things are going to get better, hoping that da-da-da-da-da, because mm-hmm. you have this idea of what it should be like. But your brain never experienced what mm-hmm. that's like. Or you just never learn as an adult, right? Even if I grew up in this dynamic, in this culture where the response, the, the form of discipline in my culture is beating me up, hitting physical punishment, um, as, a, as a, an adult, it can translate somehow into never setting boundaries, and that could be another reason. And again, it could be not a physical boundary with your parents if you don't come from that beat up like culture. But 
as simple as like my needs were not met like every time i verbalized something i was dismissed or my i see tanya uh uh you're so dramatic like i don't know i don't know how to voice my needs i don't know how to set boundaries i don't know how to say no when we talked about toxicity we talked about that being a toxic pattern too my ability to not set boundaries this is someone that could potentially also end in an abusive relationship. Someone mm-hmm. that doesn't have the ability to set boundaries. Yeah, and it could be like on the other token where the parents are constantly acting like they're the victim, constantly feeling like, mm, that's a good oh, point. you know, gaslighting the child. Mm-hmm. Like, you embarrassed me in front of everybody. I'm so hurt. You're such a bad kid. You don't care about me. Uh, and then you could get potentially in a relationship where the significant other is maybe engaging in self-harming or engaging, I'm going to kill myself if you leave me. That's also a DV relationship. That's also emotional about, um, mm-hmm. manipulation. Yep. Uh, so it could be both ways. It's not just the hitting, but it could be the gaslighting. It's the mm-hmm. you're not good enough message that a parent might, might give. Mm-hmm. That then when you're in a relationship, you're saying, I want to prove to you that I am good enough. And they're constantly seeking that validation, constantly seeking that you know, or as simple as you said, the kid crying over something and the parent just kind of like, oh, do you hear someone crying? I don't know who's crying mm-hmm. and completely dismissing the child. What happens later, you get in a relationship and you say you try to ask for those needs, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, you don't you're not loving or you're not, I don't know, romantic or whatever the feedback might be. And then you get your partner to kind of like, do you hear a little mosquito making a sound? Because I don't hear anybody complaining and doing that dismissing Mm -hmm. that you're not worth it, that you're not good enough. And this could be like deeper, right? Because it's not physical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the part where it gets really gray. And is it abuse? Well, yeah, it is, right? (laughs) It is. Duh. But for the person in the dynamic, me going to my friends, me going to my family, again, going to a culture where till death do us part mentality, it might get, yeah, Mm -hmm. like, that's how marriages are. They're hard. Right. It's like, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm the crazy one. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think that's a good transition because we've, we've been touching um, a lot into that stage of how people might react, the abuser, the victim. And in the world of domestic violence awareness, they use the cycle of abuse to educate people about this um, patterns of behavior. So a lot of the things that we've been mentioning is referred to as that tension building phase where there's a lot of gaslighting going on, a lot of victim blaming, a lot of shaming, a lot of dismissing of my emotions, a lot of uh, I made mistakes, I I did something wrong. Well, the other piece to tension building is stress. When you Mm. start seeing like that stress build up in the relationship, like maybe one of the partners is working extra hours and you notice they're a lot more moody. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe the other partner is very tired. Mm -hmm. Maybe they got sick. Like tension building doesn't have to necessarily be attached to the relationship. Mm -hmm. It can be outside factors. Right. Mm -hmm. It could be um, two weeks of stress. Yeah. It could be that if I'm the abuser in my own family, there's a lot of crap going on. I'm fighting with my mom. I got into a fight with dad, with my sister, whoever. 
And then I come, and because of my stress, I let it all in my partner, like, mm-hmm. and abuse the crap out of them. Right. So that tension building can be individual, but also within the relationship. Within the relationship. With everything. It could be the kids. If yeah. you're in a relationship where you do have kids, there's, like, periods of time where the kids, I don't know what it is with kids, mm-hmm. but they just go through this phase of, like, I don't know what's with my kid this month, but they're driving me off the wall. Yeah. Like, that could be enough to be tension building. Usually, mm-hmm. tension building are triggering events. Yeah. And, I mean, something that happened recently, duh, COVID, right? Like, we saw a spike in cases of domestic violence. Not that it's ever steady or low or whatever, but there were a lot of factors that played that played into tension, that tension building, building, right? There were a lot of factors that were outside of anyone's control with um, COVID, right? Like they, the victim is now isolated from work. If that was their one break that they got outside of the ongoing abuse and I get to go to work for eight hours out of the day, well, guess what? With COVID, now I don't have those eight hours of freedom or peace or safety because I'm constantly at home with my abuser. They're They're a lot lot closer to them. They're literally, like, in the same room. Yeah. They're going also through their own stress of maybe they lost a job or whatever. Again, those individual factors. Imagine if you're, like, in a relationship where, like, the abuse is, like, looking through each other's phone Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. If you get busy at work, then you don't really have the time to be going through your partner's phone Mm -hmm. and, you know, checking chats and things like that. Now you have, like, all this time on your hands. So your Mm -hmm. brain is just, like, riling up going through it like i'm sure that there's a lot more like jealousy outbursts and yeah because they're sitting at home in their brain and they have absolutely nothing to do well this is with the assumption that a lot of people with covid like we did stayed at home most of the time yeah the abuser can be just going on and on and on in their brain coming up with whatever uh, there's like no availability to travel now like for me specifically my safe my safe place is nogales going back home with my parents that's Mm -hmm. usually my runaway yeah if life gets tough that's where i go with with the pandemic where was i supposed to go Mm -hmm. like you know there's all these travel bans and stuff like how do you there it could be also that the one people that were your support system are worried about their personal health so they're not there to help you if i used to call my friend at two in the morning after my husband beat me up guess what now with covid she's not gonna come and pick me up at two in the morning Right, like she she has an immunocompromised kid. She's not going to want to expose, right? And it's not that they don't care or they're not genuinely wanting to help me, but COVID presented an extra barrier for this. Shelters got closed. Mm-hmm. Shelters. TV shelters got a closed. A lot of shelters had to be shut down or like people, we didn't know what happened. So when we talk about that tension building stage in the uh, cycle of abuse, things like this covid is a major factor things that we don't think about when it comes to domestic violence like systemic stuff government politics policies that get in place um things that get shut down or whatever those things play a major role absolutely in this so even the gym the gym's been closed out if this was like a release Mm -hmm. for those relationships it's gone. Coping mm-hmm. mechanisms are gone. Massage therapists closed down. Mm-hmm. Therapists, social yeah. workers closed down. We couldn't go to people's homes. So I don't know now what's happening at home. All I can see is your face in a computer, which your abuser could be like in having the a listening. gun, yes. having a gun on you while you're talking to me in the computer. And I can't see that. We could be missing a lot of information, right? I mean, so if you're listening to this, 
and you never consider these things when it comes to how a lot domestic violence it doesn't come down to why doesn't she leave or why doesn't he leave or whoever it is a lot of factors factor that plays into that well and then once the tension building kind of like builds up right then the incident happens so people think of dv and what they think about is just the incident Mm -hmm. dv is a cycle it's a pattern right it's literally a roller coaster that you get addicted to um the incident happens right the incident could be an argument the incident could be um an isolation the incident could be I throw something at the wall, like I throw my phone at the wall to intimidate you. Yeah, I think like the initial incidents are very small, mm-hmm. like um, turning off your social media could be that incident. An argument about you having a conversation with a friend and your partner doesn't like the friend and social media is such a mess. It's constantly putting us in, a, in jeopardy in a relationship and your the the incident is both partners closing off social media mm-hmm. or they start questioning you like why did you post that picture you're showing too much in there right little bits and pieces they start to control you mm-hmm. with that because domestic violence like we said at the beginning it's all that power and control so when we talk about that tension building and the in the within this cycle that we've been talking about the incident is not always i punch you and i leave a mark in your uh, eye yeah. It could be as um what's the what's the word? As subtle Seven, subtle mm-hmm. subtle as me questioning you. Like dude said, why'd you post that picture? You look like a hoe. Right. And then you're like, Oh, I do look like a hoe. That was disrespectful to him. Let me delete it. Yeah. And now he's like, You know uh-huh. what? Some of those incidents are even intentional. Like leaving my phone unlocked so you can see my conversation with other people. Mm-hmm. So that you lose your shit and then I can gaslight you more about being crazy. Mm-hmm. I know this sounds like out of the world manipulation, but guys, in a DV relationship, this happens. Like l- writing a letter to your loved cheating person, right? Like your side person. Mm-hmm. And then accidentally, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes over here, accidentally leaving your love letter on top of the bed so your significant other can find it. And then the significant other finds it and they like lose their shit because freaking duh, who wouldn't, right? Mm -hmm. And then you say, oh, see, you're crazy. Look how you're acting over this. It was just a letter I wrote 10 years ago. But it's all part of like the events that you want to happen in order to increase your validity in gaslighting or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the incident could be literally anything. It could be as subtle as that, as questioning Mm -hmm. you a post on Instagram through literally like, sending you to the hospital mm-hmm. that's the spectrum of the sometimes incident. the incidents could be um internal incidents like i'm gonna make you feel like crap you feel so much like crap that you decide to i don't know cry yourself to sleep mm-hmm. it could be a suicide attempt it could be a self-harming incident it doesn't have to be a direct physical abuse from one person to another it could be an internalized reaction yeah and then, um, so after the incident happened in this cycle and in this pattern, so we go tension building, then an actual incident, then there's the the I'm reconciliation sorry. piece or stage where there's a lot of so, uh, sorries involved. I'm so sorry. That parent telling you, like, I'm sorry that I hate you, Dulce, but you need to do better. Next mm-hmm. time you need to have the tacos ready for me, honey. Like, I love you, but shit. 
right? Like that. I'm sorry. Maybe I show up with flowers. Maybe oh, I, the the reconciliation flowers kill me. Like I dislike the whole idea of an argument, and then I'll and show up flowers. with flowers. Like it literally makes my stomach turn. Like or a present or any present, yeah. any present that has to do like an I'm sorry present. It like I lose my shit. <laughs> like, Clearly, you're <I> <laughs> very dysregulated right now. But that reconciliation, it's very typical. If you again, we're highlighting this so that you can pay attention not only on your own dynamics and relationship with kind of, but those around you. That that piece. After an incident, it's always the sorries. I buy you a card, chocolate, hot Cheetos, or tea, it's a coffee. lot of you know for for. My own experience, speeches are like, oh, for me. Oh, they know what to say. If you can give me a speech where you tell me why you're sorry and how you messed up and what you're going to do better, like, I will eat it up, like, for personally, like, if we have an argument, we have a conversation just in general. Um, and you tell me, you know what, Dulce, I didn't mess up. I didn't mean to hurt you. Now I know what you mean when you said that. That made sense. This is what that I'm is do. my piece. If you give me that, I'm like, okay, I can hear remorse. I can hear accountability. I can hear this is what I'm going to do next time. And to me, I'm good. Like those, those words to me mean the world. And when I've been in situations where I've been the victim, though, I would cry for those speeches. I would say, please give me a speech because to me, it provided some sort of peace. Some sort of accountability. I think it's more so the hope, too, that now he gets it, right? If, if and I'm, again, like or you're she, saying he or, because I'm using myself as an example, and if I date somebody, it's probably going to be a male, 100%. <laughs> Not probably, <laughs> I say for probably, sure. I'm pretty 100 on that one. Um, if, if I, an incident happens, and then he gives me that speech, I, there is that accountability in every, every checklist that I'm looking for and that remorse, but also the hope in me that, oh, now he finally gets it. Okay. Yes. That's what I've been trying to tell you this whole time. Like, yes, honey. Oh, finally you get it. And there's that hope. Like, I want this so bad. So that hope piece is going to keep me there. Especially and, if I see those I'm sorry behaviors. And that's where you said perfect. Especially if I see the I'm sorry behaviors. That's what keeps the light at the end of the tunnel. Because they mm -hmm. behave so well. Yeah. It, and the, the honeymoon stage can take up like months sometimes, mm -hmm. right? Maybe it's like, let's say that the, that the incident was jealousy. Jealousy over Instagram. We'll say that. We'll name it that. And, and then you guys get into reconciliation and you both agree and that... she shows up with flowers. Right. And then the Instagram is something that you both agree it's not going to be a problem again. Mm -hmm. You might not be able to see this Instagram problem for another six months. Mm -hmm. Maybe never again, but you're going to see other slice, like other sides of it. Now mm -hmm. it's not Instagram. Now it's going to be Facebook. Mm -hmm. Now it's not Facebook. Now it's going to be Snapchat. But now it, it's not social media, but it's you going out with your friends. Right. And exactly. it starts escalating. Exactly. But because he or she proved you that that's not going to happen again, that specific black and white incident never happens again, then they keep that hope of mm -hmm. they're changing or yeah. they understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, exactly. Mm -hmm. that, it's, that not, total sense. it's not the entire 
power and control issue, it's like this one isolated incident. And, and that technically, one isolated they incident. didn't lie because that never happened again. So it's that they're messing with you that, that they mean with their words. So next time they give you another speech about how sorry they are because they push you. Now, now you remember your that brain one remembers. Time? Remember, I promised you an Instagram, and I haven't done it again, have I? Oh, and you're like killed me true. with that. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's true. No, he does change after I tell him something, right? After I tell him what's important to me, he listens and he changes, and that keeps you right there, right? And that that what is, you're saying right now, it's like to the freaking T. It's kind of creepy. It's like I'm hearing myself. Your brain back then, <laughs> back in the day, mm-hmm. yeah. But in that, mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. I know, mm-hmm. I know. That's why I'm a licensed therapist. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that last piece that you mentioned is the honeymoon. It's the last one on that cycle. It, it, so those four, like, if you go into a circle, the last piece is that calm stage, the honeymoon where things are perfect. You guys haven't argued. You guys are doing great. There's a lot of dates and a lot of happiness and rainbows and butterflies and glitter and unicorns and life is perfect and this is the man that i'm going to marry i think i think that that is like the one thing you should keep in mind if you're in a crappy relationship if you say and crappy i mean dv if when you go through these like cycles or whatever at some point of time in your relationship you say when things are good are great but when they're bad they're horrible Mm. oh i've heard that that's so that is 100 a dv cycle because things should go bad at some point you should have arguments you should be mad at each other mm-hmm. it should last a couple days or a week mm-hmm. if you're mad at each other that's typical but it shouldn't be hell it shouldn't be horrible Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to be angry at each other. You're supposed to have this disagreement, mm-hmm. but not to the point where it feels like your safest, your safety is at risk, right. or where you feel so unworthy or so worthless or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you are saying that, oh man, that's because probably- the good shouldn't be that good either. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be perfect. It's an it's a level of unrealistic perfectness. Like you're supposed to get annoyed at your support, like your significant other sometimes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all right, man, I've been spending the whole week with you with this COVID. Can you go visit your family members and I go visit mine? Love you. The end. Like you should have, because even with your kids, that happens. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect all the time, but if you have like these segments of perfection for like a month or two months. And then it's like, bah, horrible, literally the Red other flag. side. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that should be a pretty good um, insinuator that you're going through that cycle. Yeah, so if your honeymoon, honeymoon stage sounds like you're reading a Nicholas Sparks novel, red flag. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that is the, the what people in the world of DV of domestic violence awareness, people when when you hear the words like the cycle of abuse is that when you go from tension building to an actual incident that happens and again the spectrum of the incident could be anything. Then the reconciliation, the I'm sorry behaviors, then there's your honeymoon, and after the honeymoon there is again tension building. Something happens, shit hits the fan again, and here we go all over again on that mm-hmm. roller coaster and over, over and over again. I think uh, uh, something that you're going to hear very, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but something that is pretty common that we hear is the po- the wheel of power and control. Um, 
this is super important for you guys to know because sometimes we hear domestic violence and we, you know, go back to what we were saying earlier of having mm -hmm. this like ideology. Um, but I just want to go through like the pieces real quick so you guys know mm -hmm. what it means to be in this wheel. So there's using coercion and threats is one of the forms. Using intimidation, using emotional abuse, using isolation, minimizing, denying, and blaming, using children. This one says using male privilege, but I'm just going to say using, using gender privilege. privilege. Or using privilege, period. Right? Because Yeah, I think it's, it's treating, treating them like servants, making them, um, making all the big decisions. They have the master of the castle idea. And then using economic abuse. Mm -hmm. So we can really go in there and tell you each example of every single one. But I think for the sake of time and you guys really educated on this, if you have a minute. And this is a pretty Google simple it. thing that, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. You can Google literally the wheel of power and control. And it literally walks you through all those different um, categories that Dulce just mentioned. And it gives you examples of what that might be like. So this is a good resource to have. We'll probably post it on Instagram uh, and maybe save it there so you guys can have it as a resource. But this is something that it's pretty available to everybody. Yeah, um, it's important to say if you um, are going through, am I or am I not in a DV relationship? this wheel can definitely open your eyes to mm -hmm. oh because it goes into examples of those like subtle things that you wouldn't think but it is a sense of power and control so mm -hmm. it gives you like pretty clear examples that you could probably turn into like oh that's similar to something that i'm living or that so and so is going through so why is leaving not as easy as black and white Th there is such thing as statistic in domestic violence that it takes seven times for a victim to finally leave so it takes seven times them trying to leave before they finally decide to end the relationship and there is a big 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 umbrella of reasons why anyone would choose to quote unquote stay in this type of relationship one of them like we said before we're just gonna name a few but financial reasons would be why someone stay like i said in the beginning with my example if i've been out of the workforce for 20 years i don't know how to use technology my resume looks like crap and my significant other is the one supporting me financially that's a big reason why would i stay if i have a medical problem maybe i have a medical chronic health problem that is very expensive and i'm under my husband's insurance that's a form of financial reason why yes. I wouldn't leave. I won't have medical care if I leave this relationship. Um, anything in, in that financial realm that you can think of that if my, my abuser has that sense, sort of control over me, that could be a reason why I would quote unquote stay. Yeah. I think the big one for that too, like it kind of goes hand in hand is the lack of support. Mm -hmm. Like if I don't have anyone that I can lean on when mm -hmm. I'm going to leave, There's re it's really hard for me to leave, period. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times what abusers do is they isolate the victim from any kind of support system. Mm -hmm. So um, when the abuser has a really a career that kind of enables that, um, where they like have to travel for work or something like that, and the, and the victim has to kind of get stuck 
to wherever they're going and they don't have like the resources to have any family members nearby mm -hmm. like that's a really good recipe for them to kind of say where where are you gonna go yeah um or it could be as simple as your parents are crazy they're trying to like separate you from mm -hmm. me stop talking to your parents if yeah. you if i see you talking to your parents again we're done so and and your parents could be the only people that are willing to house you in and have you stay mm -hmm. if you leave the your abuser yeah uh, so i watched this really sad heartbreaking documentary on netflix this weekend um it's called the three deaths of ruby i'm blanking on her last name but it's on netflix it's in spanish so las tres muertes de ruby mm -hmm. um It is about around the feminist side in Mexico that we were talking about in feminism and about DV, but the mom, and you guys, please go watch it. It's great. It's sad. I cried, but it's important and we need to be aware of this. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is a piece in there that stuck with me that the mom said. So this is a 15, 16 year old girl, the victim that goes, it starts dating this guy that's older than her. And kind of like around those lines of the mom was like in the culture. They're like, well, we can't get in the way. If she wants to be with him, there's nothing we can do about it. And we need to respect that and let her go. And not to spoil it for you guys, but Ruby dies in the documentary. And then at one point, the mom says that I wish I could have gotten in the way. And I would my daughter be mad at me for a couple of months because I don't want to let her be with this guy, then now I had to Bury see my, my daughter die. Yeah, yeah. So that idea of like the isolation from, and in the culture, it's very easy to say like, Ay, pues es que ella quiere estar con él, ¿qué vamos a hacer nosotros? If she wants to be with him, what are we supposed to do? Just let her, right? And there's that component where you respect people's choices, but that piece, we're talking from the angle of the abuser uses that to their advantage, mm -hmm. right? They, yeah, they start saying, well, they're just jealous, honey. They don't want you to be with me. They go through that angle. And when this, the family sees all the red flags, and that's why we're so against this relationship. But they they use it to kind of like manipulate. Well, them. and the big piece is if you get mad because your daughter or son or friend or sister are not leaving and you stop talking to them, guess what you just did? Mm -hmm. you, just cut, them. you just isolated them more so as as angry as it might make you feel to see them go through that um isolating them is not gonna help them mm -hmm. leave yeah um i think the other big piece is the trauma bonding which is kind of what we talked about earlier um my mom used to say that i wasn't worth it therefore i met a significant other that told me the same thing and this mm -hmm. is love Right. So you start creating a bond thinking that this is the healthy way, mm -hmm. the connection that you know, but in reality. Yeah. There is a there is a actual disorder, right? The people that fall in love with their, again, going back to that movie, The Kidnapper. What's it called? Oh, I see what you're saying. I know what you're talking about and I can't think about it. I know yeah. what you're talking. It's with an <laughs> M. But it's when, when the person falls in love with their with their abuser. Mm -hmm, with their kidnapper or something like that. Yeah, yeah. it's usually the abuser. Yeah. yeah. But there is such thing as, as trauma bond that could be a reason why people, quote unquote, stayed. Again, we've talked about plenty about the risks. So sometimes black and white people don't live because out of fear. Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome, yep. People sometimes won't leave because fear. If I leave, this guy is going to kill me. So I'm going to stay. 
Or if I leave, this guy is going to call DCS on me and get my kids taken away. Mm -hmm. If I leave, this guy is going to put all of my internet, my sex videos out in the internet. And Mm -hmm. then there goes my reputation. Yeah. Children, it's a big, big tool for abusers to make their victims stay. Um, People won't believe me. The system, again, if I have a history of maybe I had to prostitute myself when I was younger. So there's a record. I was a drug user. I have mental illness. I'm and, a person of color. Right. I, I go into the system, the police officers, the system, the whoever. They see my record and they see how I was like a very troubled teenager and have a history of whatever. Again, people are not going to believe me. So I have to stay with this clown because well, they're not going to believe me. I think there's a big piece too when, when a survivor continues to make police reports. Mm. If they have like six or seven, and let's say that like a couple of times they've actually been beaten and they've had pictures with like bruises and stuff, the reputation they kind of get like the crying wolf reputation. Yep. Oh yeah, of like oh you've you've been in this relationship before. Like even the cops know them by now. Like oh here we go again to house three hundred and five and mm-hmm. the same thing. And then next week she's gonna call or he's gonna call again. But there they're is still a there. Lot of frustration There's a lot the of like yeah, like oh what's the point of it? Even the judges I've seen mm-hmm. judges that are like oh this is the third time you're here, man. I'm like are you gonna divorce this person or not? No, then don't waste my time. Mm-hmm. Like the there's even that understanding in the system where I'm not gonna waste my time. Right. And especially for Latinos, if if there's if the person is undocumented, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fear around being deported, about being punished or about or manipulating the system to get papers. Mm -hmm. Right. And so even judges say, like, are you doing this because you want papers like Mm -hmm. a lot of shame and and anger around that Mm -hmm. or the straight up shame of the culture. Again, that mentality, like, till death do us part. Or failed marriage. Mm -hmm. As in marriage is, like, you know, a diploma that you get and you fail it because you didn't study enough. (laughs) This is crazy. If there's a lot of stigma around divorce, that would be why people stay. The religion piece of, like, we made a promise in front of God and I have to stick to my promise. They might stay in this relationship. Yep. Oh, Mm -hmm. my God. So I think it's important how you say that piece of as a support system, if you end up getting fed up, like those examples that we're giving on the system or as friends or as sister, brother, family, relative of someone that is a victim, it can be pretty draining. And you end up saying like, well, you keep leaving. I mean, you keep staying with him. So how can we as a support system maneuver that piece of being supportive, but having boundaries and how can we help? I think it's true. Like the being like drained by this the fact that it's frustrating let's first acknowledge that right like let's acknowledge the elephant (laughs) yeah we thought the same thing right on the couch yeah like being a support for a person who's enduring this type of relationship is tough and the average survivor takes about seven times to leave and up to 10 years yes you heard it right So, like, imagine dealing with so-and-so who's in that relationship for seven years. If I'm in in an abusive relationship and I keep calling you at two in the morning, Dulce, he just beat me up. Please come pick me up. I'm scared. And you drop your life and you come and pick me up. And then two days he shows up with flowers. And I say, Dulce, I love him. He's really going to change. I'm going to go back. And I go back. And then a week from now I call you again. 
and then six months pass and then I call you again. Imagine being the the support system for that person, right? Like it is what it is. It's draining. It's to draining, be, right? So let's acknowledge that we're not trying to sugarcoat it. We're not trying to like stay strong for your friends. This is draining. Yeah. It can be cycled in yourself too. Seeing your loved one, seeing someone that you care, being with a purple eye with marks on their neck, with cuts, being shot, right? Like seeing that constantly is abuse on traumatic for the person being the support system. It's very traumatic for me. Imagine the children. Right. But like for, we're talking support system. So if you're showing up for me and see me. And seeing your kids. And seeing your kids, that would piss me off more. Like, see, like you call me, you say, oh, this just happened. And you're over here crying. And I go to your house and I see your kids crying. Mm-hmm. Like, there's shame involved in that. Like, look at what you're putting your kids through. Right. Your kids are better if you leave. Right. Look at them. Look at them. They're watching how your husband, significant mm-hmm. other is beating you. But there, there's more anger right. attached to that. Like, urgh, like as a support system, that can really stress you out. Like, Tanya, you need to leave him. And if you don't, I'm going to call DCS myself so they can come and take your kids. And that's going to be your wake-up call or whatever, right? It's, it's As a support system, a thousand things go through my head that could happen. Again, right. if I show up and you're shot in the leg, that's trauma for me. Right. Right? And it can be like, girl... Like, you're exposing me to trauma, too. Shit, because you won't leave this motherfucker. You know? Yeah. 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 So let's acknowledge the fact that you being a support system, although it's needed, it can be really draining. Yeah. And I think it's important that you set those boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the thing, guys. Like, people who are in these relationships, and I don't say people who are in this, and I include myself in it because, thank God, I'm a survivor and I'm no longer in that Mm -hmm. situation. Um, But... For for people who are in this situation, it's really hard for us to know better because we haven't experienced better. Because of what we just talked about of generational, it's been shown us the norm. Love so hurts. when you come in and you set a boundary, we're like, oh, you don't love me because you're not here for me right now that I'm asking you to love. But you, as my support system, is teaching me how to love Mm -hmm. right no dude i love you and i care about you but it's starting to hurt me so let me show you what healthy people do Mm -hmm. when you your crap starts spilling on my crap Mm -hmm. i gotta set a boundary and that's what you should do with your significant other love you peace out (laughs) i'll have dinner with you in a week you know I, i i think it's important for us to know like when a person is codependent when a person is in this situation modeling that self-love modeling those boundaries modeling that healthy attachment as much as it might not be as quote-unquote helpful in the moment it'll be helpful long term Mm -hmm. because they're starting to experience something that they haven't experienced before Mm -hmm. right there's a lot of insecurity like are you mad at me because i'm calling you again Mm -hmm. are you mad at me because i didn't do what you expected me to do and i didn't leave him you know a lot of the times maybe the i was one of them um i when i didn't fulfill expectations of friends or whatever i just backed away and i shut down completely and i didn't reach out and then people would be like oh this bitch i just helped her and then she just stopped talking to me Mm -hmm. right i i think the friends that said hey i don't know why the fuck you stopped talking to me but i'm letting you know i'm still here Mm -hmm. (laughs) those were the ones that kind of like served as my net 
when I was trying to get out. Because I knew they loved me unconditionally. Like, even when I fucked up, they were not mad at me because I fucked up. They were not mad at me because I went back. You know, um, those relationships were the relationships that taught me what unconditional love meant. And healthy boundaries. And healthy boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It was like, hey, I'm not going to be there for you right now because this is crazy. Mm -hmm. But when you're ready, I'm here and I still love you. And if you decide to do this tomorrow, I'm going to be right there, girl. Mm -hmm. And and to this day, in these friendships, we still have that conversation. Like, I don't agree with what you're doing. I think you should be doing this. But at the end of the day, I'm still here, girl. You let me know. I'll call you. I'll be right there. Mm -hmm. And, And that's very unusual for codependent people. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes people are not at that point where they're ready to leave. Right. Right. So a support system, sometimes your role and your focus can be risk reduction. And that's it. So Dulce, I get that you're not ready to leave. How can I help you then? Right. With with those boundaries, with those expectations, with that healthy love. Let's come up with a plan then. Next time he beats you up acknowledging it is going to happen right as your support system i'm letting you know it's going to happen again sweetie like Mm -hmm. next time he beats you up what are you going to do let's come up with a plan we're going to keep this here we're going to have a set of keys available in this place for you to leave you're going to call this number here are the shelters here's a change of clothes that you're going to have like right you come up with what we call a safety plan in the domestic violence world a safety plan that you come up with you come up with safe words like hey you're going to send little spencer to the neighbor and they're going to say this word and they know that the neighbors know to call the police right Mm -hmm. so now the focus becomes risk reduction rather than you need to leave let's make let's keep you safe let's keep you alive more than anything right so you come up with safe words safety plans you give them resources and you give them the help if hey what i need to do my role as your support system is to give you 20 bucks so that you can get an uber I'm going to give you 20 bucks and you can have them hidden somewhere outside the house so you can run away. Right. That's that's my focus. I'm not getting you. I'm not asking you to leave this guy, but here are 20 bucks so you can have an Uber. And let's be let's be open and honest about the fact that the the likelihood of the survivor dying after they leave triples mm-hmm. than when they're in there. They can actually do a lot of the damage control while they're inside the relationship. Like they take the beating, you know, the beating is going to end and then they might go to the hospital or something because there's some form of guilt going on. Mm-hmm. But once they leave, it things start getting worse. That's when we have the stalkers. That's when we have the going and buying a gun. That's where you start because what are they doing? They're losing power and they're losing control. Mm-hmm. This is when the threats start. This is when the stalking starts. This is when the calling friends and family starts. This is when showing up at work Mm -hmm. starts. Yeah. Because they're losing that power and that control. And that just drives them up the wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think another big point to note is that there's been research that shows the brain has the same reaction that it has to drug withdrawal as it does when breakups happen. Mm. So there was like scans and I did my whole nine yards of research on this because I'm a survivor. But there are CAT scans that show the same reaction that the brain has when a person that's going through sobriety and that they get triggered to relapse. The same reaction happens on the brain when you're going through a breakup. So it it 
has the same reaction as literal physical pain and it actually has the same reaction as a dopamine levels going down mm-hmm. and craving that again let's remember humans live off of attachment you can attach to a person through trauma mm-hmm. so when you rip that attachment apart and if the person is already addicted to the roller coaster right to the wheel we were talking about earlier of the honeymoon phase and Mm-hmm. the event and everything it's going to be really hard for them to kind of like get out of that and have a peaceful life because yeah. the brain already wired to that trauma bond mm-hmm. yeah so that that it's big to understand again we're going over this so as support system of course if you're listening to this as a victim you kind of know or you can see the red flags or whatever but right now as a support system keep in mind that it, it's not always as black and white as like well you can just leave or why doesn't she leave right or he or whoever um, it's not a choice sometimes sometimes it's because this same concept of being that withdrawal stage when it comes to love it can be a safety thing so again we acknowledge it is draining to be this the support system for someone like in this position but understanding, our hope is that you listening to this conversation and understanding this idea, realize that victims, it's not a choice. Right. They need the help. They need us. We need to remove the stigma around this. We need to talk about it. We need to educate ourselves and our children and those around us. Um, look for the red flags. You have a neighbor that you see sometimes and then for three weeks she's hiding and doesn't come out because of the bruises and stuff like that like you need to pay attention to things like that um people might say you're nosy whatever you might keep someone alive right yeah right and and if you are a person who is you know maybe you thought oh i'm i'm in this typical relationship and then you're listening to us and you're like oh crap maybe i am in a dv relationship um understanding that you're in it is the first step mm-hmm. acknowledging acknowledging this is abuse and it's a cycle to leave actually there's uh, four steps you can look them up as well i'm not going to go through everything uh but they're you know premeditation of leaving is a step mm-hmm. and then going back to it is another step mm-hmm. and then the actual leaving is like ah mm-hmm. but it takes a lot of preparation and thinking and self-love and self-care to get to a point where you can confidently say okay i'm going to survive there's mm-hmm. a fear that you won't survive when you leave mm-hmm. and and that doesn't mean that your aggressor is going to find you and kill you it's just there's this emotional fear of i'm not going to survive if mm-hmm. i leave i think a lot of the saying is i can't live without you but i can't live with you mm-hmm Right, that's a huge TV, yeah, TV saying. Mm-hmm. So it, I think validating that and understanding that you, you can. Yeah, there I is am help. the proof you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there is a lot of survivors out there that validate that. There is help. There is a lot of resources out there available. Uh, love you can't shouldn't do it hurt alone. people. Yeah. yeah, and you can't do it alone. Can't do it alone. You need therapy, you need group, you need friends, you need love. But just, we're going to leave you with these two points. It is not your fault. Absolutely. Love shouldn't hurt. You're not alone. There is help out there. Woo. You got this. You deserve better. Yes. Listening to this. 
thank you for listening as always give us your feedback remember we do have that tag um that little section of highlights on instagram for resources let us know your feedback follow us on social media the elephant on the couch on all of them on all of them we appreciate you guys we'll talk to you next time bye thank you bye thank you for listening we hope this was the start of the conversation for you and know that you're not alone in whatever journey you're walking. We know these discussions might bring up some challenging emotions or thoughts. So please remember that although this is a safe space to start your healing process, it is not meant as a replacement for therapy. So please reach out and seek professional help. You're not alone. Don't be scared to sit with your elephant on the couch. Until next time.